New days, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not BS. Tune in semantic. Special dedication, all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Soothing semantic. Yeah, man, Big up, sir, man. Soothing semantic. another episode of Soothing Semantics. I'm your host, Raphael Pinsky. And make sure to subscribe, smash the like button, leave a comment, share with your friends, your grandmother, your poodle. Without further ado, we have a very funny man, a uh, great, wonderful mortgage broker by the name of Danny Tokar, guy I very much enjoy working with. Fun dude, professional, and I highly recommend working with him whether you're a realtor in South Florida or, or anywhere for that matter, give him a ring. We'll attach all of your uh, mortgage info and uh, let's get to work. Let's start this thing. So how's it going, man? Good to have you. Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. No problem. Absolutely. So uh, let's start off by discussing what we talked about, like when you were in the Jewish camp, because you always like telling that story but kind of go back to a couple of years prior to mortgages, how you, what you were doing before, how you got into it and earlier. Sure. So yeah, I started uh, my professional career. I was a chef at a Jewish summer camp in North Carolina, Camp Judea. And uh, I was, I was called up upon there to come help out in the kitchen when I was uh, 21 years old. And uh, a few weeks later, uh, the chef was no longer employed, and I convinced the uh, camp director and staff to allow me to be the chef with a group of my buddies that was uh, working in the kitchen with me. And they, uh, you know, were a little bit on the fence, but reluctantly agreed to allow us to take over while they looked for another chef. And then uh, seven years later, uh, you know, after getting married and and uh, having a little bit of a um, change of lifestyle um, decided to, to go on my merry way. But so I, a- after convincing them partially through the first summer I was there, uh, I was, I was the chef for seven years. Um, I, at the time I was living in Atlanta, Georgia with my wife. Um, she was in chiropractic school, um, attending life university. Um, and after she graduated, um, she started her own practice in Georgia and I um, had unfortunately had a uh, a re flare up on um, I have an autoimmune disease. Prone disease. Wait, when Danny, when you said your wife's, you're like, oh, my wife's breaking my back. You were serious. It wasn't like a figure of speech. I'm serious. My wife takes <laughs> great care of my back and yours and everybody else's who's interested. <laughs> she's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. He's never yeah, actually so said I, that. Like, Danny's never actually said that to me, but I figured I'd throw out that. Yeah. Well, hey. Okay. No, you've never actually said that. You've never actually said that. I don't want your wife to, to kick your ass when you get home. You're like, well, what are you talking about? When did I ever do that? <laughs> she takes good care of me. That's important, man. Very, very convenient having a chiropractor as a wife. Um, she doesn't think it's so convenient when I ask her at 7 o'clock at night for an adjustment and um, gives me a hard time why I can't come and see her in the office. But uh, it's very convenient for me, to say the least. Um, but yeah, moved back down to South Florida in 2010, um, became a restaurant manager because it was comfort zone for me. 
it was everything that I knew in, in my professional career, really, is, you know, managing kitchens and restaurants and that kind of stuff. So um, did that for about seven years. 2010, I moved back down to South Florida, um, started in the restaurant business as a restaurant manager um, because it's, you know, kind of everything that I knew prior and did that for about seven years when my wife was pregnant with our first son. Um, it was very, very difficult because I was in the restaurant all day, every day, um, days, nights, weekends, drive time, you know, and, and never complained about it, but it was, it was just really tough. And it took a toll on me, um, personally, because I never really knew my son. We were about, you know, four or five months into his life and I, I had never really met him and got to spend more than a few minutes here or there with him. So, um, had a very, 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 um, you know, real conversation with my wife and she had just started her practice down here in South Florida, wasn't making any money yet. Um, you know, we had a little bit of money saved up, but I basically asked her blessing for me to go and, you know, reinvent my life. And, you know, she, um, you know, basically was a hundred percent supportive. We took five weeks off. Um, you know, this is right before she started her practice. I should say, sorry. Um, so we took five weeks off. We went to Spain spent five weeks in Spain. Um, she shadowed one of her best friends from chiropractic school who had a practice in Spain. And I spent the five weeks with my son and it was really great to, you know, refresh my brain, kind of get back and get my life back and, and really spend some good quality time one-on-one -on -one with my son and really learn um, who he was and get to meet him and, and vice versa. So um, during that five week sabbatical, um, I decided that I was going to get into sales when I came back, I took a couple of random sales jobs. They didn't really work out. They what you know wasn't what I thought. Um, and um, we decided we were going to buy a townhouse with my parents' help. And I went and spoke to an old friend of mine who convinced me to get into the mortgage business. Um, and that's kind of uh, you know I I, I I was his right hand um, for for a good twelve months um, straight. Worked on all of his loans and everything. Learned the business. Learned the guidelines. Um, was able to help him um, in what he was doing. And then about a year in, became my own loan officer. And uh, the rest is history, man. We went from doing no loans uh, to 100 plus million for now we're on six years straight of that. So it's been, it's been really great. Um, you know, we have an awesome team, tons of local support, ton, tons of remote support. And, you know, honestly, couldn't do it without any of them. Um, but uh, it's just been really a great adventure, you know, from looking back in 2000. And 14, never doing a loan before, um, you know, to now it's like, you know, just everything comes so naturally. And before it's like, I, I didn't even know what a, you know, a mortgage statement was, let alone how to structure a loan, let alone how to guide people. Um, and now it's like, you know, we take a really holistic approach and we look at everybody's life as a whole. Um, and instead of just doing mortgages for people, we, you know, we, we kind of act as, for lack of better words, they're financial, you know, for financial planners without being quote unquote financial planners. You know, we look at a, we take a global approach of their finances and figure out what's the best loan program for them. What's the best products for them and how to get it done in the time frame and the way that they need it that fits best for their life. Yeah. It, it's, it's such a big, it's such an enormous part of the transaction. And it requires so to be so meticulous to make sure it gets done properly. And like, as we, as we know, we've had some difficulty with uh, some tough clients in the past. So, you know, thank God everything uh, went, went well 
So, you know, always, always thankful for that, bro. And I love the shirt, by the way. Thanks. So, Benchmark never quits. That's what's up. Represent. Yes, we never quit. And we won't do, quit do, I, do I do I get a shirt? Or, or do I get a shirt? Is that part of the conversation? Sure. Okay, I'm game. Um, yeah, no, just just like what you said, man. Um, you know, not every file is easy. You know, it, it, if they were, then anybody can do this. Um, so not every client is easy. You know, not every situation is easy. So, you know, all we can do is, is be the best version of ourselves, try to, to the best of our ability, explain everything and put things in writing and be able to answer the questions that people want to know the answers to. Um, you know, you're unfortunately going to have situations where people don't listen, going to have situations where, um, you know, maybe, maybe money's moved around and, and it's hard to document, or maybe they have multiple businesses or multiple properties or multiple accounts. But at the end of the day, um, it's why we do what we do the way we do it. Um, because there are, there are a lot of things that can go wrong in this business. And it's super important that when, when we get some information up front, um, when we get a client up front, we get all of their information up front. Um, unlike a lot of lenders where they'll just, they're so quick to just hand out a pre-approval letter after they've run their credit. Um, and then the deal falls apart for something that potentially could have been prevented up front. Um, you know, it's our job, you, you as an agent and, and friends and family and whoever's the one that's referring the clients to us. You know, it's, it's our job to make sure that we're taking care of these people. You know, you guys are putting your name on the line for us saying, hey, these are the best of the best of the best. So it's important that they leave with that experience, knowing that these people care about us and they're not just giving us a letter to get a shopping and then something blows up in our face. Absolutely. Yeah. Reputation is vital because, again, like you're mentioning, if you were to refer me, uh, refer a client to me, it would it would be the exact same thing. Right. Reputation is important. And at the end of the day. You hope that over the course of many referrals, the clients are happier every time. No one's perfect. Things can happen. But ultimately, the vast majority of the time, you can say, okay, well, Rafi, uh, the Sam, here's Rafi, wonderful realtor. We'll make this happen. Everything will go wonderfully. He's trustworthy, professional, et cetera. And I can say the same for you. So like, we ha- it's important to have that. And a lot goes into it. So th- I have a few like very good questions. Um, some people will go through a bank meaning they'll go to Chase. Go into why it's not a good idea to go with Chase and it's better to go with a private bank or better to go with you. Sure. So so we're what they consider a direct lender. So we do everything in-house all the way from the very first initial phone call with the client through the processing, underwriting, closing, funding, and then beyond. Um, we also, like other direct lenders, sell their loan, sell the customer's loan on the secondary market two banks like Chase, Wells Fargo, BB&T, and, and so forth. So as a direct lender, you kind of get the best of both worlds. We are the bank, and we also are, have the ability to shop the loan around to be able to get the client the best deal. What you eliminate in the process is that some of the headaches and heartaches that you get with some of the big box banks and the FDIC banks, um, because their focus isn't just mortgage. A lot of times these big banks have mortgage products, have insurance products, credit cards, car payments, auto uh, I'm sorry, um, investment accounts, all sorts of different products that they offer. And nobody in that bank is a, is a expert at any one of those products. They're all kind of, you know, a jack of all trades. They know a little bit about each product and don't focus on any one product. Um, a lot of times people will go to their bank because it's their bank. So it's, a, it's an incoming sale as opposed to us going out and having to earn the business through the work that we do and, and our referral partners. So the biggest difference is you're able to be you're able to work with the bank 
able to shop and get the best deal like you're working with the broker, but don't have to work with the broker who essentially is just a middleman. You know, so if you so you got the big bank over here on the left, which does everything that we do, just their process tends to be a little bit slower and less efficient because, again, it's not their only singular focus. Then you've got the broker who shops all those big banks around who essentially, for lack of better words, is just pushing paper because they're taking your documents, sending it to the bank, waiting for that bank's approval, coming back to you and saying, hey, you're approved. Mm-hmm. When you work with the direct lender, you do all of that in one. Um, it also gives us the ability to control the transaction to the best of our ability. We still have to order things like title, appraisal, um, surveys, condo questionnaires when applicable, things that have nothing to do with us as a lender, but are required by us as a lender. So we can't control the timing on when we get that information back, but we can control the timing in which it's ordered, the timing in which we follow up with the stuff and make sure that, again, because it's our singular focus, all we do every day is mortgages, make sure that we are um, on top of it. So that way, when you get a 30-day contract or a 21-day contract or a 15-day loan approval, these things are feasible and, and can happen. Um, if you go to Wells Fargo and ask them, hey, can I get a 21-day loan commitment and a 30-day closing? Nine out of 10 times, they're going to tell you no. They're not equipped for that. Um, we're, you know, so we're equipped as a direct lender, again, to control the process, which means um, when that loan app comes in, we control when that loan, when, I'm sorry, when the contract comes in, we control how quickly that loan application goes out to the borrower, how quickly we get everything ordered once that loan application comes back to us. Um, you know, we've got a team locally and afar that are, are ours. They work directly for us and our clients and our realtors. So that way we make sure that the, efficient, the process is efficient for them. Um, this is how we're able to perform and do quick closings or do quick appraisals or do uh, quick loan commitments, because again, mortgage is our focus and our only focus. So we're, be, we're able to be experts in that. It's awesome. It's an awesome answer. Because I remember I had a client who was initially, I mean, he was going to go with, with Chase. He ended up getting approved with a private lender. And you just saw the difference in, in how they handled things. Chase was had required so many more stipulations. They made the process so much more complicated. There's also the idea that whoever's working on that transaction is on salary. So just naturally, when you're on salary, there's less of a, of a motivation to perform. It's as simple as that. You know you're getting your money anyhow. Of course, you can get fired. But so long as you're doing what needs to be done, that's it. You know, And I think that's a very big difference. So if you, if you don't get paid unless you close, there's a very different attitude going into it. And yeah. Yeah, and, and, and just on that, I mean, some of them do make commission in, in big banks and stuff, but the commission right. level, it, it's, it's heavily weighted on the salary, and then the commission is much lower. So, you know, you, you are, you're not going to get the, the amount of motivation, nat- natural human being, right? Not, not any one individual, but human nature is that if you get paid more on something, you're probably going to work harder for it or work, you know, work more at it, right? That's not how everybody thinks, but a lot of, a lot of people do think that way, right? So, um, when you're in sales, you know, the, the great thing about sales is you can make great money. The bad thing about sales is that you can make no money. You know, if you don't close, you don't make any money. So, you know, any loan officer, whether they're new or established, um, working for a big bank, you know, the, the likelihood that they have a, a, an established pipeline of their own or are comfortable with the established pipeline of their own is, is lower. You know, they're looking for that inside sale where they can make a, a, a guaranteed amount through that salary and then a very small cut of a commission. As opposed to making no salary whatsoever, 
but a little bit bigger of a cut of that commission. Right, for sure. You know, people go in, I cannot tell you the amount of times that people will call me, they've already been pre-approved by Chase or Wells or any of these big banks, okay, hey, what, you know, what, what led you to choose getting pre-approved for them? Oh, that's my bank. You know, so naturally they go there because it's their bank. They go in to make a deposit, they go online to transfer money, they see, you know, get pre-approved, you know, and it's easy for them, it's comfortable, they know their bank. What they don't realize going into that is that nine out of 10 times, like I said earlier, that bank is not going to be able to close in the time frame that our market requires. So, sure, especially in a market like this. Correct. And, and listen, I tell people all the time, you know, if you've got 60, 90, 120 days to close because you have no rush and no, no time frames, by all means, you can go to any bank in the world because mm-hmm. they're able to accommodate that. If you need to close in 21 to 30 days, if you need to make sure you have your loan commitment in you know, 10 to 14 days, you know, if you need to make sure that that somebody gets you a loan application the day the loan application, or, you know, the day the contract comes in and the appraisal is ordered the next day, and you know all the things that have to happen really, really, really fast to get a quick closing done, well, you can't do that at a Wells or a Chase or a BB&T or any of those banks. It's just it's it's really, really, really unlikely that they'll be able to perform that way. You might get lucky and you know the right day, the right place, the right time, but the majority of the time it's it's going to be different. It's going to be a little bit more drawn out and dragged out. Okay. Okay, so that, that gives I think that gives anyone listening a lot a lot to work with. Now, on the flip side, do you think there's any pro? And obviously, this doesn't exactly uh, support your side of things, but do you think there's any any pro of going to a direct bank such as Chase, BB&T, Wells Fargo, anything like that? Sure, and that's a great question. Um, the, the the pro would be that there are a couple pros if you fit the box. Okay, so what I can tell you is that if you are the perfect, perfect, perfect borrower you might be able to get a better rate there, right? Because you fit within the perfect box, right? They, they, they can pick and choose what they want. And, you know, if they want to keep, uh, so, so difference between us and Chase or any big bank, they're an FDIC bank. They keep investments on their portfolio. They sell you a 30 year, a $500,000 loan at three and a half percent that over time, they're going to make $400,000 of interest on that loan, Okay. So as a bank, as a depository bank, that's part of their business model. So if they know that they're going to keep this loan on the books and give you a $500,000 or $400,000 loan that they're going to make all this interest over the life of the loan on, they're going to do that with the best of the best of the best. They're going to pick and choose the cream of the crop to make sure those loans don't default, right? Right. Well, guess what? They can afford to give you an eighth of a point better or a quarter of a point better because they're making it up over the course of the loan where a bank like ours we're going to sell it to them on the secondary market. So we, we, we're not going to keep it for the 30 years and make that $400,000 of interest off of that loan. We're going to sell that loan, free up that capital, and then go lend out to another person. So different business models, right? We make, we as a, a direct lender, make the money on the transaction, maybe servicing the loans after the fact. Them as an FDIC bank, make the money on the transaction and then servicing themselves on the back end and holding that note. So, um, a lot of times, if, you know, if, again, if you fit that perfect box, they'll be able to accommodate. That perfect box includes large amounts of assets. So what I can tell you is that the biggest competition for myself is somebody that's got a lot of money in the bank, millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank. Um, and guess what? I can't compete with that. You know why? Because they can go to wh- whatever bank, whatever institution they've got that money in and leverage the money. So they can go borrow that money at 2% or 1% when I can give it to them at 3% or 4% or whatever it is, you know? So, but, but 
whether they realize it or not, all they're doing is leveraging the assets that they have in their account. So um, I, I would tell you that that if it's the perfect situation, you know, again, if the people have all the time in the world, doesn't matter who you choose. You've got all the time in the world, right? So there's no time constraints whatsoever. If it takes you three weeks to get an appraisal, big deal. If it takes you six weeks to get title work, big deal. You've got no time constraints, you've got no time constraints. If you've got a ton of money or just the perfect, perfect scenario, 800 credit, 20% down, you know, uh, you know, tons of assets in the bank, the whole perfect scenario, the whole perfect storm, maybe you can get yourself a better deal somewhere else. Not always though. So what I, will, what I do find interesting is that like every now and again, you, you know, you'll hear, oh, Chase has this, Chase has this, Chase has this, or somebody else for that matter. And then when you get the estimate, it may not be that, you know, it may be this, but you have to pay points to get there. It may be this, but you got to do a certain down payment or you have to keep a certain amount of assets at their bank to do that, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I can tell you, I've lost transactions to Chase specifically where my customer, they, they agreed that if he would transfer his assets to them, they would waive a quarter of a point on the rate. Well, all of a sudden, my rate was a quarter of a point higher, but what you didn't have to do with me is put $500,000 in the bank. So right. if you're a customer that doesn't care and where your money is or what you're doing and you're like, well, whatever, I'll just go put it in Chase today. Great, you can take advantage of that. Um, you know, so, so some of the pros are that if you fit that, or the biggest pro is that if you fit the box, you can probably get yourself a little bit better of a deal. But fitting that box is not always the easiest. For sure, right. Okay, no, that makes perfect sense. And especially in the time frame that we need, we need to do things quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah, and unfortunately, and you know, it is, it is what it is. This market, like everything's 30 days or less. All these loan commitments. People are asking to pay above appraised value and, and, and asking just, just, excuse me, things that you didn't see six months or a year or two years ago. So, you know, you as an agent and your client has to be prepared. If you want to put yourself in the best position to get something accepted, you want to put yourself in the best position to have the best offer. It's not always about having the best interest rate or always having about the, the, the lowest fees or this, that, whatever. Nine out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times, we can accomplish that. Well, two out of 10, we're not going to be able to. But you know what? If you save yourself an eighth of a point somewhere else at a big bank because of whatever box that you fit for them, but they can't accommodate the closing time or the loan commitment time or the appraisal time. And then all of a sudden the transaction goes south because of it. You haven't saved any money. If anything, you've cost yourself money. So, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, what I always tell people, and I mean this wholeheartedly is, you know, if you went into 10 banks right now locally and saw, you know, and got quotes from all 10 of them, you're going to see we're cheaper than eight of them. We're probably going to be more expensive than two of them. You know, at the end of the day, we can't be, the least expensive person, the least expensive bank every single time. But right. we are a really, really great mix of getting the best service at the most affordable cost and meet in the middle. So that way, you know that the, the total picture is there for you and your clients. Um, it's going to make sense, especially in this market, but even in other markets, it's going to make sense for, the, for most people. For most people looking to buy something in a short amount of time, it's going to be the most efficient decision. Most Correct. And, and, yeah. and, and so here, here's a, a big thing that a lot of the big banks don't offer. Um, similar to a broker, we offer, I don't want to say all, but most of the products that are out there. So some people do simultaneous transactions. Some people don't qualify traditional financing. Some people have very, very, very complicated situations. The big box banks are not good at that. 
you know, the more complicated and the more red tape and the more sticky it gets, the harder it is for them to figure it out. You know, we underwrite our loans directly to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are the government entities that provide the guidelines to underwrite the loans for. We also underwrite our loans directly to VA and FHA guidelines. So whatever the entities that support those loans require, we don't add any additional red tape. So if they allow it, we allow it. So right. there are a lot of gray area guidelines that of, of different income asset type of situations where we can utilize things that a lot of banks won't even look at because either they don't understand the guideline or it doesn't fit within their box. So, um, you know, we are really, really, really good about finding a way, as long as it's legal, ethical, and compliant, finding a way to make that deal work within whatever, whatever the guidelines that the agencies provide to us. That's, you know, that's the, I would say the biggest advantage with working with someone like us is because the way we critically think through situations, how can we turn this no into a yes? How can we turn this $300,000 approval that the customer wants 400? How can we get them that extra hundred grand? What can we do and how can we structure the file to make that happen? Um, You know, if they're refinancing their house and they've got an exorbitant amount of other debt and they've got an exorbitant amount of equity, is there a way that we could show them how to make their financial life better, Right. Um, maybe not, but like, but that ties back, that ties back into you being a financial planner, uh, you know, in, in your own right, because you have to structure their financials to make the deal work. Correct. And one thing that we're huge on is, is we provide information. We provide education. We do not ever make or push anybody in a direction that is not comfortable to them. So one thing about most banks is that a lot of times you'll come there and say, Hey, I want to put 5% down, or I want to put 20% down, or Hey, I want to do a cash out refi, or I want to do a rate and term refi. We're going to always hundred percent of the time, show you what you come to us looking for. We're also going to show you two or three, four other options that you may not know exist. Doesn't mean you've got to go with any of those options. At the end of the day, you can go with the option you came for. But if you came to us thinking that you want to put 20% down on a transaction, And then I was able to show you something at 10% down that your monthly payment was almost exactly the same, but your cash out of pocket was half. Well, guess what? (laughs) Depending on who, what, where, when, why, you might decide that's a really good thing. Well, now you've got an extra 50 grand to go invest somewhere else or an extra 50 grand to go buy yourself an investment property or an extra 50 grand to keep in the bank as a nest egg because you're concerned about the economy or whatever. But you came in thinking you're going to put 20% down and that was the only option because that's what you clicked on the internet or that's what you heard, or you didn't mm-hmm. realize that you could do 5% down or 3% down or whatever, you know? So I'm really, really good of analysis paralysis with every single client for myself, because it's, it's, it's important. Like you come to me looking for an expert. You need to know that like, this isn't your only option here. Like there are other possibilities, whether you choose that or not is on you, but you know, it's my job to educate you. So that's really where we're, we're different in that aspect. You know, it is a lot more work for us, but it's worth every second of it because it really like people say, man, this is nobody's ever done this. You know, I just, I, I, I've gone to, I've, I've shopped four banks and all I got was one estimate of 20% down, you know? Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So we, no, I wasn't sure if you were going to say something else or not. You paused for a little bit. You know, I was just thinking um, back to the question of just like <clears throat> just a couple other differences. Like we also have a lot of non-qualified mortgage products. So you're not going to find this at any big bank. You may find it with some brokers, but a lot of non-qualified mortgage products, meaning if the customer doesn't fit the normal box of conventional FHA, USDA, VA, 
We can do bank statement only loans. We can do 1099 only loans. We can do debt service loans, which are similar to commercial loans, okay, where we qualify the customer on the property itself, okay? Depending on their assets, we could, there's different um, income generating avenues that we can create with their assets. So that goes back into my analysis, you know, of every client. If it doesn't work the right way, the normal way, the conventional way, well, great. We might be able to find an alternative product that works that you can look at getting out of in the future. So um, it's very rare that we'll ever tell somebody, no, this, there's nothing that works for you. There's no way we can make something work for you. Yep. Dude, it's, it's, it's extremely important that people understand this. There's actually, I'm, I'm really excited to put this episode out because there have been a few buyer clients that I've been speaking to and they were talking about going to a bank and I sent them this article that I have uh, discussing this, but it's just very brief and it doesn't give them this, this real overview of what you're discussing. So hopefully people will really get a picture of why it makes sense to go to, to go to you versus a, a large bank. Uh, now, going off, veering off into, on, onto a different road now, what are some of the toughest transactions you can think of or some of the wildest also that off the top of your head, maybe the top two or three where you, I don't know, a client just bought a fucking giraffe, you know, just some crazy story of something that happened that blew your mind. You're like, okay, how in the world do I figure this out? Um, so <laughs> I wish I could tell you I'm lying, but pretty much every transaction has something, right? It's okay. very rare. It's very, very rare that like what the person communicates versus what we see on paper matches. Um, I would say maybe 10% of the time, what they told us and what they entered in the computer matches their documents. The okay. most common one is self-employed borrowers. Um, and we work with a lot of self-employed borrowers. They think, hey, I make 200 grand a year, right? I should qualify for a loan, no problem. When we get their paperwork, they wrote off 190 grand out of that 200, right? Not That's a great discussion. A lot of people don't understand this. They say, okay, well, let me write but, off as much as I can. The problem is you show no income and now you can't get squat. So like, I okay, can so tell you, you this happens so much more than you can imagine where yeah. the customer truly believes they make 200 grand a year and they do, but not on paper, right? right? So what's important there is that, you know, customers understand that just be, you know, whatever money you make, it, it, we go off of your, your debt income when you're self-employed, okay? Um, that's the crazy, I don't want to say the craziest because it happens often, but it's probably the most common crazy thing that happens. It's like where a customer truly believes they should qualify no problem because of the income or the asset they have, not realizing what we can or can't use based on the guidelines, okay? Mm -hmm. um, I would say the craziest situation that I've ever had um, was the, the morning of closing, somebody called me, um, this was, this was a few years ago, um, that somebody called me and, um, they were getting, they decided they were going to get divorced on the morning of closing, um, that they weren't going to go through the transaction anymore. Whoa, and they had, no, are you serious? Yeah, it was wild. Did you notice, but did you notice, wait, wait I'm sorry, which side was this? This was buyer or seller? Oh, buyer side. That's, yeah. that was still this, this was, this was, and, and. And, uh, but, but but hold on. They, did you notice throughout the transaction 
go, you know, throughout the process that there was a lot going on? Were they, was that coming up? Were marital issues coming up throughout the transaction? Bickering, fighting, disagreements? In hindsight, everything, in hindsight, you know, you can look back like, oh yeah, I picked this. So yeah, did a couple of things happen that were like probably not normal? Sure. But like, hey, it is not my business to get involved in your personal life, right? So like, unless you tell me something, I'm not going to pry into people's personal life because I overhear you guys bickering in the background or this, that, whatever. I mean, you know, I try my hardest to keep a fine line. You know, again, if somebody brings something to my attention, if somebody asks me an opinion on something, I'm more than happy to provide it. But like, you know, there's nothing that, that was glaring, like, Oh God, these guys are going to get divorced the morning of closing. Um, You know, we, (laughs) it it was got to, hold on. They decided first. What did you say? No, I thought it was a sick joke. Like I thought the guy was messing with me. And like, like I kind of, when he told me, like I uncomfortably laughed and I'm like, oh yeah. And then he's like, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, oh, uh, uh, like I, I literally, they, like, I was speechless. I didn't know what to do. What um, were they holding? They, they were going to file or they were like already in process. Like where were they at the point of the closing? Divorce wise. Oh, this was, this was the morning. Like this was nine o'clock on the morning of closing. They were supposed to, I don't remember what time they were supposed to close, but they were closing that day. Um, and they had $10,000 of earnest money at, at the title company, which they lost. Um, they, long story short, they did not go through with the transaction. Um, they really got divorced and this deal fell apart and it blew me wow. away. What was, what, what were you, what were you hearing from the listing agent and the seller? Like, what were they, what, what were they? Um, surprisingly, um, you know, I, I don't remember exact conversation with the listing agent, but I do remember it actually did not go over so bad. Um, they kept their money and they had, they had all other offers. So like, oh, okay. I, I think on the listing side, it worked out on the buyer side. Honestly, I don't know. It was super weird. Um, you know, the, like the guy was totally normal with us and everything. And, and, and the, the wife just kind of disappeared and stopped answering calls. And, you know, and again, it's not our job to pry into their personal life. So we kind of respectfully let that go. Um, but it was, it was really weird. And, and, and I'd say like, that's never happened to me before. That's never happened to me again. Um, you know, it, it was definitely a uh, a uh, a very strange situation to say the well, least. Well, dude, I'm trying to think of it as the listing agent. If I had a a buyer's agent calls me, hey, uh, so I got something to tell you. We're not exactly closing today. <laughs> like, uh, what by do the you way, mean? Uh, we're going to the courthouse and uh, going to file paperwork, <laughs> but not our closing paperwork. Yeah, so. the the the. Someone threw the other's things out the window this morning. <laughs> Correct. That's crazy, so, man. And okay. So, um, from, from a transactional standpoint, I mean, I would say the, the biggest and the hardest thing that happens often is, is asset moving. Um, you know, people, you know, we, we, we educate early on, like, hey, give us as least amount of accounts as possible that have as most liquid money without any transactions. Um, what, you know, the, the reason we do this is so that way we don't have 40 different accounts on file and we don't have to look at two months of everything in every part of your life. If you've got an account that has the money needed for the transaction in it and there's no transfers in or out or limited transfers in or out, it makes it a lot easier than trying to document many, many, many accounts. So I would tell you the craziest thing is when, you know, customers tell us, hey, all my money is coming from here. And you verify that up front. You get an account that has all the money in it. Let's call it a million dollars, right? They've got more than enough money to do the transaction. They've got more than enough money to do everything that they want to do. Well, then they send you their updated bank statements, the updated account activity for us to be able to close because now you're 30, 60, 90 days later because you did your pre- their pre-approval you know, three months before. 
Um, and they've got like 50 transfers into that account, all from different accounts, right? Which they insisted on doing because they wanted to consolidate everything. Not understanding that first comment like that we that we had during our pre-approval and consultations afterwards, don't move anything anywhere before consulting with us. Now, all of a sudden, we need bank statements from every single account that money was transferred from. Well, So is there a way, is, real quick, have you come up with a way to like continue to remind them maybe or just drill into their head that, you know what I mean? Um, well, you live and you learn, right? So what I've learned over the eight and a half years I've been doing this is that you can tell very early on in a transaction whether that client's going to be the one that listens to you or not. You know, and if you say, you know, if the client fights everything that you say from the beginning and, and questions everything that you say from the beginning and, you know, kind of does your job better than you can do your job, you know, from the beginning, more likely than not, that person's going to be the one that that does things the way they want to do them, right? right? So unfortunately, what I've learned is you're not going to change those people. You know, you, you've heard the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sure. It's very, very, very hard when somebody's got something in their head, the way they do it, and they've done it this way their whole life, and it works. It's very hard to tell them, hey, this doesn't work for this transaction, right? So um, all we can do is further reiterate, and we do, um, you know, when we see assets up front and we you know, the, the tougher the personality, the more we're going to reiterate, hey, how important this is. If somebody yeah. is very understanding, oh, yes, okay, you know, you just tell me what I need to do and how I need to do it so that way we can make sure that we keep this as easy as possible, you know, you say, okay, great. I see that you have this account with 50 grand in it. Just leave that account. Don't put anything in it. Don't take anything from it. And you're going to be fine. We can just use that account and move on. So when, when that happens, when you get clients like that, do you just walk outside your office and like dance around, dance around outside? <laughs> no. No, we don't. Uh, it's uh, maybe we should. Maybe we'll get more like that. You should, dude. There. Get some shit. Just, just <laughs> take a shower outside in the rain and put some music on. That's it's exciting, man. When you have these like easygoing clients, it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen, a lot of people and, and 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 man, the internet is the best and the worst thing in the world. Like you know, I always talk to people and say like you know if they ask my opinion of the internet. I say it's the most dangerous thing in the world. It's the most dangerous weapon in the world. And the reason why I say that is because you can literally find anything that you want to find on the internet. So yeah. a lot of times people will find stuff on the internet. It doesn't mean it's true. Um, and if you search for the right things, you'll find it, whether it's true or not. So that is probably the, the biggest thing, whether it's in our business or in this world or whatever, that's the biggest hurdle is that you can find anything you want on the internet. So if you really want to find the answer you're looking for, you'll find it. It just doesn't mean it's the right answer. So sometimes you will get that. Sometimes clients will show you what the answer is because they found it on some website that some random person made, you know? But what I can tell you is um, no matter what, I'm always, always, always super transparent with clients. Whether that means they're going to use us or not, I never mislead them. I'm always going to give them the real deal, whether it's good for us or not, you know? That when that when that Chase client comes to me with three million dollars in the bank, I'm going to be honest with them and tell them they can probably get themselves a better deal at Chase. But dude, here's the value that I do add. That's always dude. That's always going to win though. Like that that in any business is always going to win because if they don't go with you, but you help them get a better deal, even if they don't have a referral for you, they likely will at some point though. You're likely going to earn a lot more down the road by giving. I right now had a trend. I have a transaction where. I'm just going to quickly go over this. I was working on getting the listing, listing the 
seller right now has an agent that's that listed it with no listing agreement for 3%, one and a half, one and a half. I said, hey, that agent's really not doing things by the book. And they're also taking a very low commission, which is great for you. But at the end of the day, you haven't gotten an offer in a while. Pictures were taken with a cell phone. The place looks like a pigsty, blah, 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 blah. He ends up agreeing that you get what you pay for. We sit down. His mom doesn't speak a word of English, all in Spanish. I'm there for an hour and a half, helping them solve this whole thing. She has mental issues. Crazy story. Um, I think I'm actually going to take this out because I don't, I, just in case he listens to it, like I, you know, I feel bad because um, he's a great guy. But like for the, it, it's for the sake of the story, my point was he ended up getting the offer he needed. Um, I mean, truthfully, I guess, I guess maybe I could keep it. I'm not going to mention names or, or whatever it is. Um, but the point is he, he got the offer and they're working out a couple of things, but I said, Hey, the offer is good. Go with it. Right. And there are other agents that might try to manipulate and be like, yeah, the offer is not really good. Cause what do they, they want to list it and they want to get it, get that commission on, on their end. But because I've been willing to help him free of charge, give him as much time as he wanted. He's been sending me the, the offers to look them over, to review them. Cause he trusts my, my judgment. And he, he wants my, my opinion. I said, dude, if you're getting that price, it's cash, no appraisal contingency, take it, man. And, and because I did that, he wants me to help him on the buy side because they want to, but he wants to buy something after. So at the end of the day, like, even if I didn't genuinely, even if he didn't ask me to help him on the buy side, I know that I helped this guy out. He's dealing with a lot as you know, it's difficult as mom and it ended up panning out, but it's just the kind of thing where it always, it always works out in the end. Yeah. And, and, and on that, like, um, I can tell you, it just happened. It's funny. You brought a situation like that up because I had, I had something today. Um, I will never, I, I was, I learned very early on from my mentor back when I started, you know, you don't ever want to earn business through misleading somebody. You know, when I didn't know what I was doing or how I was doing anything, you know, it was one of the first things that he taught me. Like, you don't ever want to like, like over promise and under deliver because you don't know what you're talking about or because you just want to, you want somebody to feel like they can get it done when you can't. So I had a situation a few months back um, where a gentleman came to me he wanted to make an offer on a condo. We had him pre-approved, had all of his documents and everything. And the realtor was telling him that he could do 5% down on the condo. And I receive, I ask always, don't always get it, but I asked for a copy of the budget so I can confirm that they could do 5% down. That's one of the criteria you've got to look at. Well, the, we got the budget and long story short is that it did not have the reserves. So right away, I said, there's no way we can do 5% down. So the realtor called me and asked, hey, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, hey, I'm not feeling very confident about doing 5% down, but the customer is willing to do 10% with the second lien or 25%, but I'm not feeling so confident about 5% down based on the budget provided, you know. And long story short is the realtor convinced the client that I didn't know what I was talking about and that this place can get financed with 5% down and that I didn't know left from right. And Hold on. I'm so confused though. Didn't this realtor recommend you in the no. first place? No, this was a, a client that I had that was that was recommended by someone who was not a realtor who randomly found this realtor through some some online channel. I don't know who. Oh uh, wow. She, so the real you you and the realtor had no relationship whatsoever. Never, never spoke before uh, before this transaction. Never spoke. Um well, the first time we did speak, yeah. made it clear she had her lender. 
um, you know, and, and made it clear that she wanted him to use her lender, but she was, you know, she, she was okay and respects people's decisions and blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. So long story short is she convinced this guy to go use her lender because I couldn't get the deal done. Okay. Well, I told my coworker, my colleague, like, Hey, don't worry, man. We're not, you know, we, we're, we can't do this deal. So we didn't lose a deal. Um, we're not going to lie to this guy and tell him we can, and, and then have it all blow up in our face in three or four weeks because we can't. So let's let them go, get the deal done with the other lender. Well, at one o'clock this afternoon, I got an email from the gentleman asking what we can do to get his pre-approval updated because the last transaction fell apart and never went through. The lesson to be had, and I called my colleague and I said, hey, look who's back. I told you he'd be back wow. because I knew it because I knew I was being honest with him. And I knew that we took the time to educate him, even though he ultimately decided to go somewhere else. I knew that we did the right thing and it was painful watching him walk out that door. But I knew that unless something funky was going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about, this guy wasn't getting that loan. So um, sure enough, two and a half months later, he's back and he wants to update his pre-approval. So I resent him the email today of what we need to do to get his pre-approval done. But it always comes back one way or the other. You know, if you mislead someone, if you intentionally or unintentionally, it's always going to come back to you and that's not good. So, you know, that's why I love working with you, man. I can tell you every time we talk about clients with clients, about clients or with clients, like you're super straightforward and transparent with them and with me. And that's like, that's how this business needs to happen to make sure that things happen the right way. And that there's already enough of a bad reputation with it, man. Like sales in general, I mean, business in general gets dirty and murky and, you know, shit happens. But like the more you can be transparent with all parties, the better off. And, and like at the end of the day, that doesn't mean to be a soft pushover and just let everyone walk all over you. It's important, especially if you're representing your client. If I have a seller that I'm representing and, and the buyer is making all these requests and demands, at the end of the day, if I, you have to know where you stand on the sales side or on the buy side. So if I'm on the sales side and I have a bunch of offers and this buyer, buyer's agent's making all these demands, I'm going to say, hey, Samantha, fantastic. But uh, that offer is not going to cut it. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, let's throw some dandelions in the air. No, I mean, when things got to happen, things got to happen. But at the same time, I still want to try to create a win-win for everybody. You know what I mean? And if I can't do that, and if, if my seller is going to get more out of it than the buyer, but um, I have a fiduciary duty to my seller, so be it. That's life. But I, I'm going to try. Saying, I'm, I'm no, always going to try. Responsibility. You know, Absolutely. Do, I'm always going to try. I'm always going to try because I do want, I always try to work with the agent and I'm, I'm not, I don't come off like some, you know, like some asshole uh, to purposely try to put that agent down or, or act as if I'm, I'm more important because I'm a listing agent. It's all some, it's all nonsense. At the end of the day, if, as long as the agent's a decent person and we can make this work so everybody's happy, it's the best way to do it. You well, know? no, the so, reality is that we're all a team. And right. It's much better to work together. Work. Unless everybody works together as a team. hundred percent. It's so much better and, to work together. Yeah. Yeah, man. Have to, without a doubt. So now that we covered all this ground, one more thing I wanted to cover with you. What do you project uh, specifically in, in South Florida in terms of uh, in mortgage rates? Well, I mean, mortgage rates are kind of, you know, countrywide. And what do you propose? What do you think? What are you feeling is going to happen even in the next year or so? in terms of uh, mortgage rates increasing? Because a lot of people, a lot of people, 
have this issue. Like I'll talk to, to sellers on, on calls on cold, cold calls and they'll say, yeah, you know, I would like to sell, but buying is difficult because prices are high. I don't know what I want to do. So in terms of mortgage rates be, still being low now, what do you project would be in like the next year? What do you think? You know, there's so many mixed messages out there on this topic. Um, my, my, my gut feeling is that rates are going to go up. They'll probably go up. If I had to guess somewhere in between a quarter and a half a point in the next 12 months, I don't have any hard data to support that other than the fact that, you know, with inflation and the fact that rates have been, they're still historically low. I mean, they're a little bit higher now than they were a few months ago, but historically we are still really, 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 really low. Um, The only thing in my opinion, keeping them down right now, and it's keeping them down a little bit artificially is that the market's so on fire. Like, you know, people's wages aren't going up as quick as inflation and as quick as the market. So it's like, if you, if, if cost of goods go up across the world and then housing goes up across the world and then boom, interest rates go up. Well, guess what? You can't afford anything. So that's a huge recipe for disaster. So right. I do believe that it is artificially still being held down. Now, with that said, the Fed did come out last week and say that they're going to start tapering some of this bond purchasing that they've been doing for the last two years, ever since COVID happened. So naturally, when you have a you don't have um, a guaranteed buyer to drive those rates down because somebody's just going to keep buying and buying and buying and buying, which is what the Fed was doing. Naturally, unless some private entities step in and start purchasing up all those bonds at a lower cost or a lower rate, um, rates are going to go up because the pressure. Um, so the reality is that I do believe they're going to go up, like I said, between a quarter and a half a point. That's just my feeling. Um, you know, today, Today, rates moved 75 basis points, which on a $100,000 loan is $750 worth of cost. So mm-hmm. when you hear, hey, your rate is at 3% costing a point. Well, if I quoted you 3% costing a point, and then today happened where the rates moved 75 basis points, well, that 3% now costs you a point and three quarters, right? In one day. Now, that's a huge movement in one day. That usually doesn't happen. But it, mm-hmm. unfortunately, what I can tell you is that if you look at a rate chart since COVID happened or COVID started, there's been some wild swings like that. We could have one in the other direction too. Um, you just never know. Um, so I think half a point is probably a safe bet, um, but I, I can't guarantee that. Um, you know, I do have a cool thing that we actually put together a little bit earlier today. Uh, let me see if I have it in my inbox or if I can find it and send it to you afterwards, but it's a, a cost of waiting analysis, right? And I put it together earlier for one of my real estate offices. It's a link. It takes you through a presentation that shows you if you were to buy a $450,000 house today, mm-hmm. okay, based on a particular scenario, this scenario, the rate would be three and a quarter today. I showed in this in this option that if you were to wait one year with the increase of 10% in prices, okay, and interest rates didn't go up, what that would look like on paper, or if you were to wait a year with a 10% increase of price and rates did go up, what that would look like, or if you were to wait a year and prices didn't go up at all, but rates went up, what that would this look like. This is awesome, Danny. I'm going to send this, first of all, I'm going to send this episode to all of my buyers, and I'm going to send this episode to a lot of clients that I've been following up with because this is awesome. Okay. So column one is a 450 purchase today based on the scenario that I ran three and a quarter interest rate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the so if you were to buy a property at 450 today, putting borrowing 427, putting 5% down, okay, then you're based on based on today, using variables for taxes and insurance, HOA, et cetera, you'd be at 2867 a month, okay, with, with 40 grand out of pocket. Mm-hmm. If you were to wait a year to buy that same exact property, don't change any variables at all, other than the property appreciating 10%, that's column two right here. Okay. So your cash out of pocket goes up by four grand and your monthly payment goes up by, uh, you know, 150, $300 a month. Okay. That's same interest rate, 10% appreciation over the next year. Mm -hmm. Okay. This column right here is if if there is no appreciation over the next year, but rates go up. The rate increases. Okay. So back to 39 grand out of pocket, but now you're at 2,900. So, or 2980. So you're about $120 a month higher on interest rate, same property, right? Mm-hmm. Just one year later. And then this one is the worst, worst of both. It's if properties appreciated and interest rates went up. Well, now you're at which is which is very which is probably what would happen. Which is the most likely scenario, correct? Right. So, so all the way here is buy this house today. All the way here is buy this house a year from now. Four grand more out of pocket. a month more monthly payment. So when you're talking to a customer, when we're talking, when we are talking to a customer, um, you know, it's important they understand this. Now, obviously we don't have a crystal ball. We can't guarantee that, which is why I give all these different scenarios. Um, And just, just, and we'll go through this more detail when we have a little bit more time, but I want to show you when you're going, you know, just so if you, if anybody asks you when you're not on with me, you click this more info button here. It brings up your payment breakdown. What variables am I using for each of these things? Okay. Also, it brings up all your closing costs. Okay. So you click on this, your closing costs. You can break down a fee detail of all the different costs associated, similar to you getting an estimate from a lender. What mm-hmm. we do is we put all this stuff here up front. We use as best guesses as we can for the third-party fees. And that way you have an understanding of what is it going to cost me to buy this property. So your payment breakdown, your closing costs, and then there's a breakdown of all of that. Okay. Um, again, this is just a general scenario. Any of your clients that are interested um, in getting something drawn up for themselves, specific to themselves, I'm more than happy to put something together for them based on their qualification, based on um, um, what they uh, are looking to do, um, whatever purchase price, we do these also for refinances. Um, you know, if somebody's got, we show them a difference between a rate and term and a cash out. And if they use that cash to pay off some debt and they use the debt that they pay off the money to pay down their mortgage, how much money they can save over short and long term. Like we go super deep with this stuff um, specific to whatever the client's needs are. So um, depending on the client, depending on what they're looking for, this presentation is going to change. But it's really nice. It's interactive. I can change it real time and add investment strategies to it as well. It's awesome. This is fantastic. Now I'm I'm, I'm going to send this. I'm going to let you know. You know when I have when I have clients that would want this. There's no way for them to kind of set their price in there. You would have to kind of you would have to do it every time. Um. So this is not editable by the client. But I have no problem taking the time, having a quick 10, 15 minute conversation, finding out what the client wants to see, put something specific together for them. It would be a cool tool, by the way, Danny, if you did have your brand on it, the same kind of thing you have here, 
but in a way where they can kind of like say it's on a Tuesday and they say, you know, I kind of want to think of buying. I want to see if it makes sense to wait or not. And they can just pop in their price point and you have your, you know, benchmark mortgage, your name, your contact info right there. So it's like, okay, you know, uh, I put in this number, but I have a couple of questions. Let me call Danny. You know what yeah, I mean? No, I just, this, I, this has it. Like I, I would send them a link and it has all my contact information in it. Okay. No, if you want to do it that way, that's fine. I'm just saying maybe efficiency, you know, efficiently, whatever it is, if that's, that's what's best for you. That's what's best for you. Um, but okay. Yeah, that's great. So dude, we, we covered a hell of a lot of ground. Again, I'm going to drop all your contact info on the episode. It's going to, it's going to pop into the episode. So people can, can contact you via email, uh, phone and all that. So guys make sure if you're looking for a mortgage, look no further, contact Danny Tokar, benchmark mortgage. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you, bro. You gave me a lot of insight. I hope anyone who's looking to buy gets a lot out of this. Um, or if you're looking to invest, whatever the case may be, anything real estate related, there's so much knowledge to gain here. So I hope you got this far into the episode. Make sure again to subscribe, like, and share. And dude, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I look forward to coming on again in the future, man. Absolutely, bro. Have Talk a great one. Thanks a lot. Bye.